With the colder than usual weather that we've been having of late and the surprise early spring snowstorm we had this past week, I've been telling people March is the new February. At least that's what it feels like out there, doesn't it? Including the nippy gathering out there for Palm Sunday in the courtyard. Things seem sort of out of order and topsy-turvy and upside down weather-wise. And maybe we could say the same with the NCAA tournaments going going on. Yeah. <laughs> Loyola Chicago fans out there, anybody? And Sister Jean? Nobody had heard of Sister Jean a year ago, but now, man, everybody knows about this 98-year-old courtside chaplain who's, uh, at least with the help of the Lord, brought that team to the Final Four. It's pretty amazing. That, too, seems upside down with this Cinderella season that they've had. And the same is true as we enter into this great and holy week and the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, things kind of feel upside down and topsy-turvy. Today began with joyful shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as we commemorate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. But then like our very changeable weather, that joyful note of triumph gives way to something very different. As we heard in that Passion account, shouts of Hosanna become shouts of crucify him, crucify him. Like the weather, people can be very fickle and very changeable, people then and people now. Palm Sunday becomes the Sunday of the Passion. We have these dual themes going on in worship today. So on this Palm Sunday, this Sunday of the Passion, our Lenten series, Return from Exile, continues as we focus on from entrance to exaltation. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. Well, Jesus had been preparing his disciples all along for what was coming, right? Not once, not twice, but three times he had told them plainly what was going to take place. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You can't get much clearer than that. But denial can be a very strong thing, right? We tend to see and hear what we want to see and hear. We like Palm Sunday. We like the joyful shouts. We like the palm branches and the procession. We like these things on Palm Sunday because they make us feel good. Palm Sunday feels like a, a happy occasion. Nothing wrong with that at all. 
It's what happens after Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem that we struggle with, we shy away from. Ugly things start to happen. Betrayal, injustice, political expediency, torture, death. These are topics we usually don't want to engage in because they're too painful. We don't like to focus on them. But it is through these very things that repel us that Jesus is exalted. And that's very counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to us. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday leads to his exaltation on Good Friday. And that exaltation doesn't look like anything we would associate with exaltation. It's not about triumph and glory from a human perspective. It's about suffering and death upon the tree of the cross. That is where Jesus' exaltation takes place. Jesus is declared a king, but a different kind of king. His crown is not gold, but thorns. And his throne is the wood of the cross. Strange king. Strange indeed. And it's through these counterintuitive things that a great exchange takes place. Jesus' death for our life. Jesus' righteousness for our sin. And in Jesus' we are blessed beyond imagination with forgiveness that money can't buy and good works do not merit through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and for me. This is what exaltation looks like. Paul talks about this in that epistle lesson for today that though he was in the form of God, Christ Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, to be seized upon and exploited for selfish purposes. No, but Christ Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' exaltation on that cross was for you and for me. A week from today is the chief festival of our Christian year, the resurrection of our Lord, Easter Sunday. We love Easter Sunday like we love Palm Sunday. Easter Sunday is about joy and gladness and thanksgiving and Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and 
Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. It's great and we love it and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I will say to you that our glory and joy are greatly diminished if we do not first follow Jesus through what takes place in Holy Week and in repentance view again the great cost which he willingly paid for us and for our salvation. It's very easy to be here today and then show up again next Sunday on Easter Sunday and bypass what's between them. But how can we ignore the harsh reality and the ugly truth of all that Jesus endured for us and for our salvation? Our Easter celebration will be a shrunken and hollow version of itself if we do not first follow Jesus to the upper room, to his agony in the garden, to Pilate's judgment hall, and to the cross of Calvary. Living here in the shadow of the nation's capital, we are always seeing groups coming in to stage various protests, parades, marches. We saw a big one yesterday, March for Our Lives. And wherever we may be at on the spectrum of supporting or not supporting that, this one was different because it was instigated by the next generation, by young people who will be not only the future voters, but the future leaders of this nation. And we ought to pay attention to what they are saying. What really impressed me was that all of the speakers were not politicians or elected officials, but youth, including the nine-year-old granddaughter of Dr. Martin Luther King. Yolanda Renee King. Her presence there reminds us that in less than two weeks, our nation will pause to remember what took place 50 years ago, April 4th, 1968, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. His murder led to six days, almost a week solid, of riots in Washington, D.C., something which people who live through vividly remember, businesses, neighborhoods destroyed and torched. Similar riots occurred in Baltimore and Chicago and more than 100 cities around this nation as frustration and anger over Dr. King's assassination, frustration and anger over race relations boiled over. Some years before he was assassinated, Dr. King wrote of his struggles as a disciple of Jesus and the mantle of leadership that was placed upon his shoulders and the cost of discipleship. He wrote of what he calls his kitchen table conversion in a work, Strength to Love, and I share a portion of that with you now. 
Dr. King writes, the first 24 years of my life were years packed with fulfillment. I had no basic problems or burdens because of concerned and loving parents who provided for my every need, I sallied through high school, college, theological school, and graduate school without interruption. It was not until I became a part of the leadership of the Montgomery bus protest that I was actually confronted with the trials of life. Almost immediately after the protest had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters in our home. Sporadic in the beginning, they increased day after day. At first, I took them in my stride, feeling that they were a work of a few hotheads who would not fight back. But as the weeks passed, I realized that many of the threats were in earnest. I felt myself faltering and growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour. My wife had already fallen asleep, and I was about to doze off when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, we've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you will be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up but could not sleep. It seemed all of my fears had come down on me at once, and I had reached the saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. My head and my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. And the words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I've nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same. But God had given me inner calm. We may not ever, any of us, be called to such a leadership role as Dr. King was, but we are, all of us, called to stand up 
for righteousness and stand up for truth. The Lord Jesus Christ who entered into Jerusalem to suffer and die upon the cross and be thus exalted will give us his strength as only he can do to meet the trials of this life, whatever those may be. Let us then enter into this great and holy week, trusting in his mercy, his grace to help in time of need, that we may persevere in faith, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen.